this is Lauren Baker and welcome back to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today we're chatting with Sophia Lee and Christine Almeida. Sophia is the author of Holding On and Soaring Saturdays and her first book, What Things Mean, won grand prize at the 2014 Scholastic Asian Book Awards. Christine is a freelance illustrator from New Jersey and has worked with clients such as Scholastic, HarperCollins, The New York Times, Eater, and more. Together, they are the author and illustrator of Lolo Sari Sari Store, a heartwarming children's book that celebrates community, connection, and Filipino culture. Welcome to the podcast, Sophia and Christine. Hi. Thank you so much, Lirin. We're so happy to be here. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited to chat with you. This book has made me smile um, from the minute I got that first email. <laughs> to the moment I got it in my hands. I'm so excited to chat with you about it. But before we begin, I always start by asking, and maybe you could each take turns and, and tell us your names too, so we can put voice to name. What's the first thing that you ever cooked and how old were you? Sophia, let's start with you. <laughs> okay, okay. I think I was maybe three or four years old. And the first thing that I cooked um, was instant noodles. I was a very, very, very picky eater growing up. And I was, my uncle, who was our family doctor, just told my parents, just let her eat what she wants until she develops an appetite. And I think like one of my cousins like cooked it. And then I liked it so much that like, I just asked to be taught how to cook it and you know like I wouldn't actually be cooking I would like drop the broth and stir the pot and um, drop the egg right before serving and I loved it so much that my nickname from I think like age four to age seven was badoodles like because <laughs> I can always would say like whenever they called me I want noodles and so they would call Ia Badoodles, which Ia is my childhood nickname, a diminutive of Sophia. Oh, yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> I love that, Badoodles. <laughs> Christine, how about you? Um, I feel like the first thing I learned how to cook was probably eggs. <laughs> if it wasn't instant noodles, probably perfecting how to make a really good fried egg or different kinds of eggs. And then I remember putting like furikake on top and, and like trying to compete with other people. Like, I make the perfect egg. <laughs> um, otherwise, I don't. I don't have a very clear memory of whatever we first cooked. But maybe like cassava cake or pancit with my mom. But on my own, it's probably like an egg. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny that you both mentioned those things because eggs were my first thing. Although the furikake would have been very fancy if I had <laughs> done that okay. when I was little. But I do have such fond memories of instant noodles with my cousins. We would make that and pretend like that was our camping food. And we would pretend that we were camping in the backyard. <laughs> so I'm just smiling at, one, at, at both, of your, uh, both of your stories. So can you tell everybody a little bit about yourselves and what led you each to become an author and an illustrator? So Christine, let's start with you this time. Okay. I think I've always loved drawing. I've always loved reading like comics, manga, reading anime, watching animation. And I think that's just always what I've been gr gravitating to. That's what I've always been interested in. I don't think anything else could have competed with it as, as I was growing up. So drawing was always the thing. 
and I, I kind of fought it a little bit. Like maybe I thought about being like a pharmacist or an art therapist <laughs> or um, an animator, even though that's, you know, adjacent to drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I eventually ended up like illustrating and it became children's books once I graduated from college. And I, it just feel like the perfect fit because anything else I feel would be outside of what I was truly uh, passionate about. Were you an art major in college? Yes, I was first thinking I wanted to do animation, like visual development, move to mm-hmm. California, work in a studio kind of thing. Um, but then I ended up in my senior year, my senior thesis was a children's book still. Oh. So um, I graduated. I still didn't think that was what I wanted to do. But then eventually that's like how that's what I've been working on for the past seven years, children's books. I love it. So for our, our podcast listeners, Christine's background is an illustration of from the Sorry Sorry store. So it's so cute. I love it so much. The colors make me happy. Sophia, what about you? Were you always a writer? Um, I think I've always been writing, but even from a young age, like I took kind of a roundabout way of, of getting to become an author. So even from a young age, I think I, I, I liked writing, but I always viewed it as kind of a step, stepping stone to something else. I had always idolized my dad, who is a lawyer. And so I always thought that I would follow in his footsteps. And for a while, I did that. I actually, you know, like my undergrad was calm, but I was treating it kind of like a pre-law subject. And then I actually did go into law school and when I was there, I always wondered why, like, I wasn't as happy as I thought I would be. But my dad was always just, you know, like, just try it. I think you're gonna, gonna have fun. Like, law school was a time for me. Like, he would always tell me that. So I kind of somehow finished it. And then I just couldn't make myself um, like move forward like when I needed to take the bar. And I also realized that like even as I was going through like the toughest times, the toughest classes in law school, I would always find myself escaping by reading books and writing. And so I think I just came to a point where I realized that it just wasn't what I was interested in really. And that's when I started writing. I kind of was figuring out after having spent so much time trying to be a lawyer, what I was supposed to do. And then I I took this very random job offer from my friend who's an editor at a content company. She was just like, well, I have a job. Like, what if my writers quit? Like, do you want to take it over? Um, and it was just like writing microfiction that, So the Philippines is a very, like, mobile, rich country. A lot of people, like, get content on their phones. And so I think, like, the stories that I was writing was being fed to their subscribers. And then one day she just told me, hey, like, have you really considered this writing thing? You're so much better than the writers that I have on staff. And that was when it started. Like, I think I took a writing class um, just trying to figure out, like, if it was something that I would enjoy. And then... From that writing class, I produced the book that would go on to win the Scholastic Asian Book Award and then become published. And then it was kind of like 
just doors opening one after the other um, in a way that didn't feel so natural when I was in law school. And so it felt, it has felt like such a magical experience for me, like becoming a writer because it's just been intuitive and I guess like a little bit easier. I know that's not every writer's path, um, but that's, that's been mine. I, I feel re really lucky. Oh, you are very fortunate. But also, I think it was just meant to be. I think so, too. You know, um, it's funny. I think like when I was in law school, you know, you would have these blue books that we would write on for exams. And like one of my teachers actually wrote, you should write fiction um, on huh. one of my blue books. Because when I would answer like the problem sets, we, we would be given like, a legal question that we would have to kind of adjudicate. Mm -hmm. I would add so many other facts that the questions <laughs> didn't give because I was trying to like make the story make sense to me. Oh and, and you know, that was why my, my professor was like, I didn't put this in the question. Like, uh, where are you getting all this context from? But like, <laughs> I would have to rearrange everything. And I think you're right. In, in one sense, it feels like fate that this is kind of really what I'm meant to be doing. Oh, that's hilarious. So some people might be doodling in the blue books and you're just adding color. Yeah, I'm making Exactly. <laughs> that's so funny. So let's start by talking about what a Sari Sari store is, because it's a very special place. I think I have my own memories. I'll share with you after, but tell everyone what a Sari Sari store is. Okay. A sari sari store is a convenience store, but the way that it's kind of distinguished in the Philippines is that they're mostly operated out of someone's home. And so it's very much a cottage industry. Every neighborhood will have it and it'll carry everything from daily necessities to snacks to, and some of them will just like have so much inventory that, you know, like you could also get stickers and like toys for little children, depending on what uh, the Starry Starry store owner thinks is essential for his or her community. And we had one actually growing up as well. And I pulled so much of my memories from those years that we ran the Starry Starry store to write the story. Oh, so you guys ran one. Okay. I was wondering how autobiographical is this? <laughs> because in it, there's a little girl and she has the memories of her grandfather, Sari Sari's store, um, while she's building a new home in the U.S. And I think what's so cool for me is, so I grew up in New York, but I would spend summers in the Philippines like every four years. And my mom's side of the family, there were three homes all next to each other. Next door at my aunt and uncle's house, they had a sorry, sorry store. And so I just remember loving to run over there and say, oh, can I help? Can I help? I just wanted to help give change or, you know, just do whatever. And I just thought it was so interesting that we didn't have one here in the U.S. It's so fun and convenient. But so is there a Lolo that this is based on, grandfather? So there is... Um... A Lola and another Tita that a lot of the memories are are based on. So we had one growing up, but it was kind of like our 
extended families. As you said, like many Filipinos, when I was growing up, we lived right next to uh, my aunts and uncles in, in our village. And my tita, one of my mom's sisters, Tita Flor, would run the store. But every summer, we would all help, me and my cousins. We were helping, but really yeah. we were there for the snacks, you know? Like, we were there because she said we could, like, have our snacks every hour and just enjoy all of the treats that having access, like a full store's inventory <laughs> would <laughs> allow for you. But yeah, and then I have another grandmother, my Lola's eldest sister, we called her Wawa. And she had a Sari Sari store in Tarlac, which is where um, all of my grandparents are based. Mm-hmm. And I loved going there as a little girl and like over the years growing up. And she would just let me shop her store for all of, like really random things. My mom would be so mad at me because I would, you know, I'd be four years old coming home with bags of soy sauce and like rice that I just like shopped from Wawa store. And she would just let me like she because I was her favorite <laughs> and I would just be able to take home anything I wanted. But she was also such a pillar for the community. Like people would really come to her store just to talk to her and to ask her advice on a lot of things. And so from observing like how my tita, how my Lola ran the store, like I was inspired in writing the story. Yeah, I think what really shines through in the story is that how the Sari Sari store is more than just necessities or food. Um, you can get toothpaste and fundesal, but then there's also the community. And you share these lessons. I love how in the book, Lolo says, sometimes what people need the most is someone to listen. And it's so, so true. Christine, what's your thought process in illustrating the Sari Sari store? Did you pull from any inspiration? Did you guys have to collaborate on that? How does that work? Because I've mostly grown up in America, it's been, that was a big challenge trying to make sure the Sari Sari store is as colorful as the story makes it out to be, as well as still realistic to the real experience of being in a Sari Sari store in the Philippines. So a big part of it was the products. Like I pulled on maybe going to Filipino grocery stores here, which I Um. felt like, I guess, the same sort of excitement, always going to the grocery stores, the snack aisle with my mom. So that was that was the easy part. I think the more difficult part was the neighborhood, the community, because I've only been to the Philippines once and I did get to see them when I went to uh, Cebu. But I wanted a more like in-depth look at it. Re- I, so I had to do a lot of research. I did I have a lot of re- reference photos. I looked up YouTube videos where people are like vlogging in uh, Filipino communities and they pass by multiple Sari Sari stores. And I wanted the illustration of the Sari Sari store to be accessible to the characters in the story. So it's like easy to understand. You see the product, it's colorful, and it's just as inviting as the story uh, makes it out to be. Yeah, it really is inviting. There's a warmth to it. I love that. Um, I'm just thumbing through my copy. Like I really feel the difference when the character is in the Sari Sari store in the Philippines. And then all of a sudden you can tell that she's not in the Philippines anymore. So I think you do such a really beautiful job with that. Like there's this weird, like it goes from warm colors to 
a little bit more of a cooler palette. I don't know if that's me reading into things, but <laughs> or overanalyzing things, but that's at least what I picked up on. No, for sure. That was a, uh, you got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Sophia, for you, going from that experience of the Sari Sari stores and the warmth and community and then you see in the book the difference when she the character goes to America and sees a grocery store for the first time and how different it is do you feel like what what do you think were like the main differences there between those two experiences I think you know I was writing this story just after I graduated from my MFA. And so I, I came to the U.S. as an international student first. And so I know that definitely I was pulling on my own feelings and emotions of kind of figuring out what was my place going to be here in the U.S. and like how I could make myself feel like I belong, you know, like in, in this new community. Definitely the differences between having access to a sari sari store which feels warm and and comforting and like intimate really because you know mm -hmm. the people who are selling to you and you know the people who are coming to the store versus being exposed to these superstores really that um i think at the time like you know it was pre-pandemic they were a lot were open 24 hours and there mm -hmm. are like all of these like just giant aisles of things. We have big grocery stores in the Philippines too, but I think like I was also, you know, again, like bringing all of just the feelings of, of missing home and just wanting a sense of familiarity into that part of the story um, and just looking for traces of home. I think, you know, like for example, being able to spot Tinigang mix on the aisle <laughs> or chippy. And that's not, you know, those are very rare things for you to find, like unless you're at an H Mart, but if you're, you know, like at a Walmart or some other big grocery store, like you would be lucky to find um, anything that feels remotely like home. And so it is very different. Um, and I, I found myself just always looking for, that sense of of home when I was anywhere um, and it made me miss being in the Philippines even more. Yeah. So when it came time for you guys to work together, was this, did you know that you wanted to work together or were you assigned to work together? How, how did that happen? So I think like one thing that surprises a lot of people, a lot of people always ask me, oh, like, did you choose the illustrator or did you know each other before you came um, to work together I think something that a lot of people don't know is that unless you're both the author and the illustrator of your work like if me as an author I often don't get to choose who the illustrator will be mm -hmm. I'm very lucky though to have worked with an editor who was really generous knowing how you know, how important a story like this was going to be because there aren't a lot of Filipino stories still out in the international market. And she knew that it was important to me to have um, someone um, who had a Filipino background who would understand the context of all of these things, be working on the illustrations. And she showed me Christine's work 
And I just um, really fell in love with the way that she does colors. But more than that, like I love the way that Christine does faces. Like I think like when I saw the way that like she illustrates her characters, I knew that she was gonna be such a great fit for the story. And and you see that in, in all of the spreads, you know, like even when the girl or Lolo isn't saying anything, like their faces communicate so much of how they're feeling. Um, and so I feel really privileged that Christine was able to work on this book with me. Yeah, it's a beautiful partnership. I hope there is more from the two of you in the in the future because I thought it just it was just a really perfect blend of both of your talents and um I feel like Christine told your story in a very artistic way and it just it worked out beautifully and you're right the faces are so they're so lifelike and so real and very approachable so Christine this was your first picture book correct because you've, you've illustrated other books but this is a picture book which is I guess right. was it um different in in some ways than your other books uh definitely because the previous six years I've been working on children's books. It's mostly been chapter books, uh, book covers, which I've loved. But they mostly feature just one color illustration. And then the insides are black and white. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So for this picture book, it's every, everything is full color. Everything's a lot bigger. Um, there's more of a storytelling element that you get to really dive in deeper and show the reader, the audience a lot more. So that definitely this was a little more intensive, but you got to do a lot more with it versus in a chapter book. Uh, there's just a, an illustration every few pages. So this one was like a definitely a privilege that this is the first one I got to work on. And that it was such a beautiful story to tell in such a big, colorful way. So I'm glad that this is the first one. Yeah. Do you think that there might be more opportunities to collaborate in the future with the two of you? I would hope so, because like Christina is so, so lovely to work with and just a lovely person in general, too. Um, so I, I definitely hope that that is a possibility. So, Sophia, you have to tell me about Ice Scramble because you talk about like all these other things. And I'm like, yep, I know what that is. I know what that is. There's Hello Hello. I know what that is. But then you talk about ice scramble. I'm like, what's that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> okay. Ice scramble is, I feel like, the Philippines answer to a milkshake. And so it's like shaved ice. And then there's actually a vendor that comes around with a cart with stuff for kind of like a, a slushy. And so the Manong would always have shaved ice that he would put in a cup and then he would spritz that with milk and you would get a choice of syrup. Usually it would be chocolate syrup. Sometimes there would be strawberry syrup, but that's like a fancy, a fancier five <laughs> scramble cart. But there would be like candy and like small marshmallows and like peanuts and things like that. It would just be something cool to cool you off and you would always often see him in the summer strangely i learned of ice scramble in the province like in manila where i was growing up we didn't have an ice scramble man but when i would get sent for vacation over to my cousin's house like 
they had an ice scramble man and so we definitely took advantage of that every afternoon it's <laughs> it's it's almost like a a milkshake yeah with a lot of evaporated milk and a lot of other good things um, oh. and then you just scramble it together and it's spelled you know in the filipino way scramble so it'd be um, <laughs> but it's ice scramble and that was how you would enjoy it that's so interesting it is it's like milkshake meets halo halo meets shaved ice meets yeah yeah all the toppings <laughs> a lot all of the good things that a kid would want oh that's so fun well you guys, it was so fun chatting with both of you. I cannot wait to see. My kids are older now, but I know they're still going to love it. But I've got nieces and nephews who are still at the perfect age for this book. So I cannot wait. This is going to be in their in their Christmas packages this year. <laughs> um, but I have some closing questions to ask each of you before I let you go. What's um, something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to meal? I love making pasta um and i like making just um a simple simple garlic noodles with olive oil um and whatever i can find in my pantry i think pasta is such a comfort food for me growing up because i grew up watching food network in the philippines and so most of the things that i learned to cook are like american things <laughs> Because we always had someone cooking great Filipino food for us. And mm -hmm. so, especially now that I live here in the U.S., I find myself gravitating to pasta when I feel like I need to be comforted or just I need something substantial. It's the grown-up badoodle. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> How about you, Christine? Pasta is such a good answer, but I think mine might have to be arroz caldo because it's just so easy, the rice and then the yeah. chicken. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a nice hearty soup, especially when it gets cold out. And then adding like the garlic toppings, the scallion on top it always feels so nice. So I think that's an easy one for me. Just let it stew on the, on the stove and then come back to it and then you have a nice uh, warm meal. <laughs> That is my kids' favorite, too. And they call it sick soup. <laughs> um, what's the one recipe that you treasure the most? I think I have to take your answer now, Christine, because one of the things that I miss the most is, is my mom's arroz caldo. And every time that it rains in Manila, you know, it's, it's a very tropical country. And so when it rains, I think it's really such a respite for everyone. And we always have a roscaldo at home. But the way that my mom cooks it, she she has the, the goto part, which is the rice part, but she always, always cooks it with tokwat baboy, mm -hmm. which is fried tofu with pig's ears that have been um, stewed and then fried until it's crispy. And then you douse it and kind of like an adobo sauce and you drizzle that over the arroz caldo and that is just such a comfort dish for me i can never make it on my own my brother is able to replicate it because he's a good cook but that is what makes me i think miss our home the most is having my mom cook arroz caldo for us and so i know how she makes it it's just hard for me to replicate but that's my favorite that 
she has she has made for us. Mm. The Tokwat Babwe is what reminds me of my dad the most because he loves that part too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it. I think it's just the perfect compliment. Mm-hmm. For me, um, so the recipe I value the most, I think, would have to be another mom recipe as well. Um, that was also passed down from my grandma. It's a uh, pancit molo. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, dumpling soup. And then she would make it during uh, Christmas. My grandma would make the dumplings for Christmas. And it's a very garlicky broth, again, with sc- scallion chicken and as well. And my mom now makes it every Christmas. I don't know how to make the dumplings yet. <laughs> so she freezes them. And then um, I uh, make the broth on my own. And I it's always so special to me. It always reminds me of the people who came before me. And it always reminds me of Christmas as well. Oh, that's I love that tradition. You know, what's so okay. This is totally ironic. I was actually thinking about Pensit Molo yesterday. And I was like, I really should make some. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've made those. <laughs> It's going to be delicious now because it's colder. It's getting colder, I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you know what? I can have soup anytime. Anytime of the Like my family (laughs) knows that soup is my favorite. And if I could have soup every day, I'd be happy. But (laughs) even if it's hot. Are you a messy cook or a neat cook? I am a very neat cook. I am the kind of cook that cleans as I go. You know, like right after I drop something into the pot, I'm already rinsing the dish wow. that I used. Um, so I, I, I like order um, in the kitchen. Christine? I have to agree. Yeah, definitely. I don't like mess. I clean up right after. <laughs> and I want to make sure I have everything I need right before I cook as well. I, I'm a neat cook, definitely. <laughs> wow, I'm so impressed with you guys. <laughs> I, I tend to veer towards the messy, but I do clean up after. So <laughs> what's a good kitchen tip that you can share with us? Okay, so I am not the best cook of Filipino dishes, but my brother is. I He likes to boast that by now he has perfected and even gone beyond my mom's sinigang recipe wow, and um, strong words <laughs> it, it's true though like his I, when i when i slurp a bowl of his sinigang i feel like all is right with the world and something that he does to make his his broth thicker is that he uses rice wash so the mm. the water that he used to rinse his rice and he adds it to the broth of his sinigang to thicken up the soup and it makes it it does something magical it just makes all of the vegetables taste better and then just the sinigang flavors just become more pronounced and i don't think a lot of people know to do that but i think that's one of the things that makes the sinigang really special it's a really good tip i've never tried that at least with sinigang that's smart yeah. Let me know when you do. Um, I hope you enjoy it, especially because you love soup so much. I do. That's my brother's favorite. (laughs) My tip, I think, would just have to be the simple low and slow, especially when you're cooking soup or meat. If you want like a tender meat, keep the heat low and wait a long time. Especially I was thinking like synagogue as well when I cook like beef synagogue. Yeah. Yeah. Low and slow. I love a good tender (laughs) soup. Yeah, patience, patience. Yeah. Well, every week I try to share five little things, something that made me smile during the week. Is there anything that made both of you smile? This week, we 
have just seen um, recently the Barbie movie, and I think I'm just still always thinking about it, like what it means, you know, like to be um, a woman, to be a woman making art. And I think I've always been thinking of it, especially now that I'm writing again, thinking about creating art that transcends in that way. I just thought they did such a good job with it. Oh, that's a good one. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> Christine, I will. I plan to. <laughs> uh, for me, I guess this one's a little more on like the personal family side. Uh, my, I just gave birth like last week, month, and my uh, baby turned one month today. So I'm very happy <laughs> I made it through the oh first month. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. I thought you were going to say no, last week. I'm like, what are you doing? No, not last week. That'll be insane. <laughs> Oh, congratulations. I'm so excited. So you're your first. Yeah. Oh, well, well, she's, is it a she or he or a girl? Yeah. Girl. So she's going to have a lot of stories and a lot of nice illustrated books to read. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm so happy. Well, Sophia and Christine, thank you so much for spending this morning with me. Where can everyone find each of you and where can they find Lolo Sari Sari store? So they can find me on sophialeewright.com and um, all of my social media is at Sophia and Lee Wright and Lolo's Sari Sari store they can find everywhere books are sold so you can find it online you can request it from your library Target Barnes and Nobles sell it sells it and hopefully you guys will look for it after hearing our podcast Christine where can we find you you can find me at christinealmeida.com or at eychristine at achristine and yeah I hope you find Lola Sari store at like an indie bookstore Filipino bookstore the library that'd be so fun take a picture please <laughs> oh yeah take a picture post it is there a hashtag that people should use hug your Lolo <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, I love it that's so great well thank you guys for spending time with me and I cannot wait to share this book with all the little people in my life thank you again thank you so much Lira. thank you so much it was a real treat for me to speak to Sophia and Christine stories and picture books like this are the ones I would have loved to have read to my children growing up or have read myself as a little girl. So it means a lot personally to me that they are sharing their talents and artistry with the world. I hope you pick up a copy of Lolo Sari Sari's store. You will find the lessons in it transcend all cultures and ages. Thank you again to Sophia and Christine for joining me and to you for listening. If you enjoyed our chat, please share this episode with a friend and I can't wait to see you in the next one. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.